You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. Today we have a fun episode planned. We've had so many great albums come out this year that we really didn't expect. Uh, you know, it was kind of slow going at the beginning of this year, and then they all just started coming out one after another. Um, and, you know, as much as we wanted to review every single album, that was just virtually impossible without just having every single show be revolved around an album. So we are going to take time today to do a what we call a rapid fire review and review a whole bunch of albums for you in one episode something we've never done i'm excited i remember at the beginning of the show uh when we first started in may like every episode we were bemoaning that there wasn't anything else new coming out and then it hit like september october or something and we're like oh crap there's too much coming out we can't keep up now <laughs> the year pulled a 180 on us and then we did two interviews and then we did interviews and and aria got split into two and so there was just wasn't time for everything you know, and honestly, though, that's kind of happened the last couple of years where every time where we thought where we were going to run out of flavor of the weeks, it just all of a sudden we'd start getting a backlog towards the end of the uh, end of the year. Yeah. And we wouldn't even be able to play a couple of the albums before we did our top 20 countdown. We tried to squeeze them in, but sometimes it was it was close. <laughs> it really was. So we've got a few for you this week. And the first one, the guys have decided that I need to go first here <laughs> and i'm not complaining because i'm excited about this one so one of the other things that happened when we first started this show was uh one of my initial ideas was i wanted to talk about the local h release lifers that came out this past april and it was tentatively on our schedule like every week and every week something else would come up and it would get bumped back another week and then another week and then another week. So like internally it sort of became this running gag that it was perpetually on the recording schedule, but we never talked about it. It was like Matt Damon on Jimmy Kimmel or Lindsay Buckingham on Saturday night live on that. What's up with that sketch where like they were always supposedly there, but they never actually had time. And so this is finally my chance to talk about local age and <laughs> lifers. And that makes me very happy. So thank you guys for humoring me on that one and allowing me to, uh, get going first well it's you know it's funny too because it's not like it was it, it's not like I, I don't like local age that's not the thing at all it's just every time that we got to the point where we would possibly talk about it something else came up or something else was we decided you know take priority with that and so yeah like you said it just kept getting put to the back burner and now you're finally able to discuss <laughs> it a lot of it was time sensitive stuff like we wanted to talk about uh, the Green Day album around Father's Day and uh, the White Pony are right around the anniversary. And so yeah. those things, they kind of demanded that exact week for a while. Yeah. yeah one of the members of the itch is a meticulous planner. Hmm. <laughs> Somebody's got to be. <laughs> I'd be thinking ahead about these things. So anyway, Local H is uh, a band from Chicago. And which I have a soft spot for. I've had a soft spot for them, but it's grown since I've lived up here. They're from Zion, Illinois, I should say, which is a suburb of Chicago. But they are Chi-Town proud through and through. They're kind of a grungy rock band. There's a few artists out there that I would consider sort of like carrying on like that Nirvana kind of vibe to some degree. And Local H is one of them in a sense in that they... 
first off, just the sound. Second of all, sort of this way that Scott Lucas, their singer and guitarist, he's definitely a rock star, but he's not a spotlight hog, if that makes sense. Like he has great presence and energy, but he's not necessarily this like a showboat. And I feel like that was like a Kurt Cobain trademark as well. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. So, yeah, they've been around since since about 1990. And they're a two-man band, which is another thing I'm a super sucker for. Um, hopefully next year we'll be talking about a few more two-man bands. And uh, so Scott Lucas has always been the leader. And then they've had three different drummers over the year who have all been pretty great in their own right. Yeah, we've talked about a couple of two-man bands, like 21 Pilots. Oh, man, that's three episodes in a row for them. Why do they keep sneaking in here? We're not even that big of fans. Or some of us might even be the opposite of fans. Uh, I couldn't help that one. That was. <laughs> You're listening to Rock Matters, where we talk about Limp Biscuit and Twenty One Pilots. <laughs> that is oh. fortunately true. What kind of, what kind of podcast is that? <laughs> Twenty One Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'm distracted. So, Lifers, <laughs> Lifers came out in April of this year. It is their ninth studio album. It's got a dope lion on the cover. And I was a huge fan. This is um, a band that most bands, especially if you had success in the 90s, which they did with uh, their biggest song was called Bound for the Floor. Yep. And they're one of these bands that has not had a massive amount of commercial success since then. They've had a couple smaller hits. And then every once in a while, they get a little bit bit of attention for one of the covers that they do because they do some some pretty awesome covers. But by and large, they've just been a grinding band. And we've talked before how much we love and respect those kind of bands that these guys just continue putting out quality music for their own fan base and, and for their city. And the commercial success element is, you know, it's cool if it's there. And if it's not, then that's also fine. And they're just troopers. And so I've developed a lot of respect for these guys because I genuinely appreciate every album that they have, which is hard to do year after year and release after release. And because of how much they love this city and this city loves them, one thing that I've I've grown to appreciate during the pandemic is they've been kind of at the forefront of a lot of efforts to make sure that Chicago's music venues are basically supported and don't go out of business. And one of the venues actually referred to Local H as Chicago's house band, which <laughs> in a very I found to be a very endearing compliment. Because basically what this these guys do is when they're not doing national tours, like supporting other bands, like a few years ago, they went out as the opening act for Metallica after they put out uh, Hardwired. And when they're not doing that, they kind of run a circuit throughout all of Chicago suburbs and the city. And so they it's like usually more or less like one show a month in a different venue all around town. And they always get a turnout. They always get a following. And so the venues around here love them and they love the venues. And so that was just kind of a cool bonus thing. We talk about, you know, the purpose of the show being like rock mattering <laughs> and why and how. And these guys are people who believe that to their core and they act on it to help, you know, the entire music scene of their area. And so I've got a lot of respect for that. And on top of that, this album itself, I just thought was genuinely good. It's hard for me to say which ones I feel like are their best or not their best. But this one stood up had a few like longer, like progressive tracks on it. There are like seven. There's one track that's 10 minutes long called defy and surrender, which is wild. Yeah. 
there's a song that I believe to uh, be about Farrah Fawcett, which shows their age a little bit. Um, <laughs> the first yep. track is called Patrick Bateman, which is the character from American Psycho, which also shows their age a little bit. What were you going to say, Casey? The Farrah Fawcett song, because when the, when he's singing about it, I'm like, that has to be about Farrah Fawcett. So I was trying to listen to the lyrics, and I was it was hard to pinpoint <laughs> if it was or not, but... <laughs> You couldn't tell from the Farah, 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 Farah. Well, I mean, but I was expecting him to talk about like something else other than just saying the name. But yeah. Well, I mean, the, the verses definitely don't have to be about her explicitly. And I'm, I'm half joking. I'm just assuming it is because it. Farrah Fawcett strikes me as a person whose poster was probably on Scott Lucas's bedroom wall as a teenager. Exactly. No, that's the exact same thought I had it. How many other pharaohs are there out there? I mean, like, like not that know. many. Exactly. <laughs> that was actually probably one of my least favorite songs on the entire album. It was a bit repetitive. It's one of my least favorite ones, too. I'll, I'll give you that. But by and large, I love this album. Turn the Bow is a, is just this, this great song, especially if you follow the way that the like lyrical, mel- the, his vocal melody and the guitar line follow each other. And then this album does, like I said, they're mostly kind of a grungy band. But this album does something that they don't actually do that often, which is an acoustic track called Sunday Best. And it's it's placed right in the middle of the album. Well, closer to the end, but it's not like the last track, like a lot of times people will do with their acoustics. And Sunday Best is just, to me, just beautiful. It's one of the prettiest songs that they've ever made. They're not a band that does a whole lot acoustic. They like energy and amps and rocking out as hard as two guys possibly can. Right. But they nailed that track. Yeah, it sounded a lot like a Zeppelin song, so I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it did. It's, a good it's really, it's really funny. I like, I, you know, it's I, I liked most of the album, like all the other stuff that we haven't talked about. I really did like, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I, I, my only note for Sunday Best was that it was just meh. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was just. I think it's because like the rest of the album, like especially tracks one through seven, they're pretty heavy. Like you said, it's very grungy. You know, you mentioned Patrick Bateman. I, I, I felt like there was not just mentioned like grungy, but like you can almost compare them to particular grunge bands. Like I thought Patrick Bateman, the song sounded a lot like Pearl Jam. Mm. Um, I thought the Turn the Bow sounded like Helmet. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I that, thought track yeah. three, High, Wide and Stupid sounds a lot like Bush. Yeah. I felt like this album kind of melded every grunge band of the 90s into yeah. like each track almost. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I don't know how much mileage that goes for you guys, but for me, that's not an insult for me. That's, that's no, fine. yeah. No, I, I feel like I think they do those things. Well, it's not an insult. It's just, it was, it was just kind of weird. Cause I was listening. I'm like, man, that sounds exactly like a Pearl Jam song. <laughs> Scott Lu- Lucas technically is a grunge artist from the nineties. So yeah, very yeah. much. So like it I worked. said, they're one of those worked. guys that kind of carries the banner. Yeah. And they're 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 never overly like studio produced like slick, which right. I I really appreciate. Like they always kind of have this like dingy cigarettes and beer in a club kind of vibe to them, which I, I always appreciate. If you haven't got to see these guys live, I've I've done it a couple times since I've been up to, up here, and I'm amazed. Put it this way: there it's two of them, and, and Lucas himself is is probably around fifty at this point. I mean, aside from his hair, you know, graying a little bit you would never know from the from the energy and the way that they hold a crowd's attention. It's fantastic. So you're saying he moves better than you up on stage, huh? He's what? <laughs> yes. He yes, moves absolutely. better than you up on stage. 
it wouldn't take a whole lot to move better than me on stage, <laughs> but he does. <laughs> I'll tell you what I saw him, uh, them perform at a, a festival, uh, not really a festival. It was a street fest because Chicago has tons of street fests in the summer. So, you know, they block off this chunk of a street, this block. And this was up in, I don't know, Wicker Park or somewhere. So there's a lot of bars and stuff around. And at the end of the show, like for the last song, I think he put his guitar down. Maybe I don't remember if he was just letting it be feedback or if the drummer was kind of playing him out. And he, he had the crowd crowd surf him to the door of one of the bars down the street. And they put him down right in front of the place. And he's like, this is where I'm going to be for the next couple hours. So uh, see you there. And so <laughs> yeah, it was just funny. It's a very um, like for the people kind of band, if that makes sense. Yeah. Seeing uh, high, wide and stupid would be fun seeing live because it, it totally has like what I like to call a rock band finale, like the video game rock band where you just like uh, your instruments around <laughs> your button press. <laughs> At the, the end of that song totally sounds like a rock band finale where you're just like, you know, pressing button mashing, button mashing. That's that's pretty much the end of that song for me. <laughs> Isn't that what rock band referred to as end wankery? I have no idea what they referred to it as, to be honest. <laughs> so if you go to, I remember when I, I played rock band, if you go into the breakdown like of your score after a song is finished, it would break down each section. So it'd be like, okay, like verse, chorus, bridge, whatever. And I think, I don't remember for sure. I want to say it was like a Zeppelin song or something. There was some track that does that where it's just this kind of like button mashing sounds that don't really do anything, that aren't really anything at the end. And, and, and it was at end wankery. And I'm like, okay, so that's what's happening right there. So yeah, this album, uh, it was one of my personal favorites of the year, especially like for, for personally, you know, for local connections and then also for um, just the longevity of a band that can keep chugging along, never becoming something that didn't seem like they're like true to who they were as a band. They never tried to change their style to keep up with something. They're just like, this is the kind of music that we want to make. And so we're going to make it and it's going to be fun. And so it worked. It's their second album to feature Ryan Harding on drums. He took over for their last one, which was called uh, Hey Killer. And I think he came into his own more on this one than than the previous album. So, yeah, he uh, he loves his percussions. Holy cow. Well, when you don't when you're just two people, you got to do as much as you can with what you have. Yeah, no, he, he just was all over the percussions on on uh, Winter Western. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he just was just all about that. That hi hat. So what would you say your favorite song on the album is? Oof. Um, While you're thinking, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my favorite was B Beyond the Valley of Snakes. I just thought it was, for one, it was kind of a long song, but it wasn't boring in the sense that like, it just felt like it, like, it, it didn't feel like Defiant Surrender. That one feels like a 10 minute long song. Beyond the Valley of Snakes doesn't feel that long. There's a lot of guitar solos in it. It's, I just, I just felt like it was a really good song musically. And that's probably why it was my favorite. I think that one's in the top three or so I'd put turn the bow and Sunday best up there with it. There's a real good block right in the middle of this album. It's, it's the strongest, I think part of the album. I also like track two. hold that thought. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. a good one. The thing that I thought was kind of interesting was the, the last two tracks, track 10 defy and surrender and then track 11, which I believe were two of the longer tracks on the album they combined yeah. combined for like over 17 minutes so yep. <laughs> the only thing that i didn't really like about the two songs is that that fade out and fade in into both of them <laughs> but uh 
there, there were definitely songs that you could get lost in for a while. Well, Dan says, you know, Defiant Surrender is 10 minutes long. And like you said, it fades out and kind of blends right into Innocence, which is six minutes long. Yeah. And so if you are feeling tired by the end of Defiant Surrender, Innocence probably isn't going to comfort you because because it does segue and it almost feels like a continuous track. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's a great track in its own right. And I'm glad you guys mentioned those longer ones. I was very curious about what you guys thought of because even beyond the valley of snakes is seven minutes long as well mm-hmm. but like dan said it doesn't really feel like it which i think is a good thing yeah yeah so high quality work from local h this far into their career and i'll just tell you right now this one's going to rank pretty high for me on the on the end, end of the year list and now i will cede the floor to somebody else thank you guys for letting me get some words in on that one that's dear to me <laughs> yeah it only took you like eight months right <laughs> it's true i was just being so selfless that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> so casey you want to go up next sure <laughs> all right so what album are you bringing to the table for us for this rapid fire review session i'm going to talk about nothing but thieves and their album moral panic nothing but thieves is a very interesting band number one they're kind of the type of band that you wouldn't really think that we would play uh, as far as our radio show is concerned, because they're kind of more of a, a dancey club, almost uh, a modern new wave type of band. Mm. Uh, almost 21 pilots ask. No, no, Stop. I, <laughs> Stop doing that. no I, I, I would not compare them to 21 pilots at all. I know exactly who I'd compare them to, but I'm going to let, I'm going to see if you get there first. They kind of have, I don't know. It's they're such a unique band because they're one of those bands kind of like a, a skin dread where we've talked about where they, they meld a bunch of styles together. So you have their vocalist, Connor Mason, who's just insanely high falsetto, mm-hmm. high pitched vocals that just kind of lend well to the, the EDM dance club music. But then they they kind of sound like uh, Arctic Monkeys a little bit. Hmm. Okay. Bands that they have also been compared to are Civil Twilight and Royal Blood, who are this band's from the UK, so that's who they get compared to more often than not. And because their styling is so unique, I think US rock charts kind of have a hard time placing them because certain tracks will be on alternative charts and then other tracks will be on just straight up rock charts, but they never really combine like one track will be on one chart and the other track will be on the other. Mm. So who do you, who do you compare them to? It sounds like you're saying they're one of those bands that kind of double dips, maybe even in the studio. They're like, okay, this one's going to be our pop single. This one's going to be our rock single kind of thing. Yes. Which, which definitely happens with some bands. I think that they're very clearly, I mean, for one, you mentioned Connor's falsetto. And that is like a defining characteristic of the band. They're definitely a band that grew up loving Queen. Yes. And I would say that they, if if you filter like this, like Descendants, I would filter Queen through some Muse, which also yep. combines that yep. falsetto with like the occasional heavier stuff. That's and exactly then, yeah. And you said Arctic Monkeys. I, I've heard a little bit of Arcade Fire if we're going to go like more indie rockers. But that's also because I'm way more familiar with Arcade Fire than arctic monkeys so also a little bit of a wall nation as well yeah 
Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. There's one track where I even thought they kind of had a, a U2 kind of vibe to them, but, but that was a little smaller. Like I said, it was really just one track, <laughs> but um, definitely it's mute. It's, it's musy, but uh, to me, but poppier and lighter, they rock out, but they don't rock out nearly as often. Right. Yeah. They're more of like the artistic side of muse when they like to be all artsy. Yeah. A little bit of that entire song wankery. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but so they've this is their third album. The first album came out in 2015, self-titled, and we've played some of those on our show over the years. Uh, their second album, I wasn't really aware that it existed, Broken Machine, so I'm not super familiar with that one. But Moral Panic, this one, it just has a lot of interestingly uh, like social conscious lyrics to me. You quoted one of their lyrics on a on a previous episode. Yes. Uh, was was that the System of a Down episode? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was um, which number was that? Episode twenty seven. If you want to go back, this is going to be my new thing, guys. I'm going to be the history keeper of our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, can you afford to be an individual? And if you listen to the lyrics of that song, you will uh, get a nice encapsulation of uh, the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah i would also argue that that is the best track on this album i would too yeah. which is interesting because it comes in at track 10 out of 11 yes so maybe that tells you what their priorities were for the album being other songs <laughs> yeah and what's crazy about moral panic is they've already had four singles and mm-hmm. can you afford to be an individual is not one of them and and to me that's a travesty that uh that should be a rock single hardcore so some of the ones that are really good, and I'll go ahead and mention the singles since since we're talking about them. Is Everybody Going Crazy? That's a straight up kind of club dance track. Real Love Song. There's there's quite a few songs on this album where it reminds me of like 80s style love songs that would be put into like any 80s movie of a genre. <laughs> yeah, these guys have some soundtrack vibes to them. That's yeah. for sure. So a lot of the tracks have that vibe to me. Unperson is another one of those club dance tracks. Killer opener, I thought. Yes. Impossible is a really soft like love song, which is really interesting. And it, I felt that that song highlighted Connor's vocals a lot, almost like an R&B type song almost. Mm. And then, uh, what is it, Phobia. That's one that sounded a lot like Arctic Monkeys to me. That one was another one of my favorites on this this album. Yeah, I really like Phobia as well. I think what, maybe this works for them and against them. One of the things that I enjoyed about listening to Nothing But Thieves is that it sounds very different than most of the rest of the stuff that we've been listening to and talking about on this show. Right. Because it leans so much heavier into like pop and even kind of, you said, like almost a and b kind of thing sometimes. And, on, and because he just, he has a great voice. His falsetto is killer. But then the flip side is that they they almost are so far into that pop side that it's, I don't know, I don't say it disqualifies them, it doesn't, but it makes them unique maybe in a good and bad way to me compared to most of what we, we discuss. I would agree with that. And honestly, I, that's their style isn't one that I would normally gravitate towards, but it's just they're one of those bands where what they put into each track it works and it sounds awesome to me. I also have to say that I think that as we get older, at least the three of us in particular, 
for whatever reason, I just think that all of us are broadening our horizons. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I find myself liking stuff that I wouldn't normally have liked two, three years ago. Um, and, you know, even further back than that. But then yeah. again, you know, I'm also one that liked some weird crap 20 years ago. So who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just reciprocal, just syllable, whatever. Hopefully that's to the benefit of, of our our show and whatever format it takes, you know, diversifying our interests a little bit more. Yeah, I think that it's had uh, something to do with it. I mean, I, I'm listening to bands I wouldn't normally listen to because I'm going to get I'm trying to do like research and talk about them. I don't want to sound like an idiot, like a just <laughs> hey you know we did we did an episode on a pirate rock band earlier this year that was episode 20 mind you and <laughs> i didn't even know that was a thing until recently right. <laughs> pirate metal yeah, i agree pirate metal and that was some fun stuff <laughs> so yeah. yeah so i just think that we're all just expanding our horizons as we get a little bit older and so i think that's why you know that you might like this casey like you know, it's not bad. It's not something that I would kind of go out of my way to listen to, but it's, you know, if it's on, I wouldn't like turn it off or, you know, I wouldn't mind listening to it if you're playing it on the radio show, but it's not something that I would probably play during my hour. <laughs> right, right, right. Fair well, enough. and that's what I thought about the, can you afford to be an individual song? Cause that song, it has a weird melding vocal <laughs> that just kind of builds and builds and builds throughout the part Mm. and then it goes away and then they just rock out. And that's what I thought was kind of interesting on that song. They could just do a straight up rock song after doing all this like club dance tracks. Nothing but thieves is the kind of band that probably if you're, if we're really sticking to something that in some way really feels like it resembles rock, especially like a heavier, they probably only have about enough tracks on this album to compose one flavor of the week. <laughs> right. And there may be other tracks that are good and we may play them anyway. But um, as far as ones that really fit closer to the mold of what we do, they're, they're a little more limited. Well, and Hey, they do have a track on their first album called itch. So they can't be all bad. No, they definitely can't be all bad. <laughs> Can I give you my one particular critique of them? Sure. And I, I think this has to do with exactly how far, like I said, they lean into the pop. Literally every track on this album, except for the first one by a hair, is within 20 seconds of being four minutes long. All the tracks are basically four minutes long. Mm-hmm. And so whereas like we just talked about the local H album, like it's got some three minute, four minute, and then there's like a seven minute in the middle and a 10 minute at the end. It kind of diversifies the vibe a little bit. My only critique as I was listening through this really was that eventually the songs did start to feel kind of the same because they all kind of came in and out at about the same exact pace. <laughs> yeah, I could see, I could see that. They were lucky they had Can You Afford to Be an Individual near the end to spice me back up again because that song <laughs> is so great. <laughs> yeah, well, and I appreciate songs that at least go close to four minutes because then that means usually there's at least some sort of a breakdown at some point in the song. That's true. So... They they do the, do that pretty well, so I don't know. I enjoyed it. So yeah, nothing but thieves is definitely another uh, <laughs> worthwhile contender. I'm glad we were able to give that one a little bit of love as well, because it is it is worth mentioning for its ability to blend styles. I feel like so well. Agreed. So 
would everybody agree that their favorite song is Can You Afford to Be an Individual? Yes. Okay. Pretty easily. I was just curious. <laughs> I'll give I'll give uh Unperson the first track and then Phobia, as Casey mentions, probably my my next favorites. And then the the everybody going crazy, that one. I respect it because like like as Arya mentioned in that interview, he mentioned how hard it is to write a pop song. A pop yeah. song. Yeah. And that is a good pop song. <laughs> right. So I got to respect somebody that can write it. Yeah. And like I said, uh, uh, lyrically, I, f- I felt a lot of the songs were nice compared. I mean, a lot of bands focus on music and the lyrics are kind of secondary. I felt they did a good job of incorporating everything. Like everything had a purpose. Can you guys confirm something for me since you, you did hear their their previous stuff? And I really haven't. Is this a change of pace or is this pretty much par for the course where they always this kind of general sound it's pretty much the same okay so they were they weren't like a originally like harder band that sort no. of like went dancer they always kind of mixed those elements yep okay yeah a song that was really big of theirs off the first album was uh trip switch and that was uh kind of the same type of vibe as this album was okay you find what works and you roll with it. You keep making more of it until people get tired of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dan, Ooh, you're up next. I was going to say, now it's my turn. Yay. Yeah. Who are you bringing for us? <laughs> what you got? You know, it's funny. Uh, this is an album that I was looking forward to coming out, and it was released with three other albums. And and people might actually think that if they know me, that, that I would be talking about the Metallica album, but I'm definitely not. It was released no. the same week as Metallica S&M 2, but that album just didn't grab me as much as the uh, album that I'm going to talk about today. From Ashes to New, they released an album called Panic. And, uh, well, it was released on August 28th of this year. And this is the third album from this band, believe it or not. It's actually hard to believe that they've, they've already got three three albums out and they've only been a thing since like 2018. But yeah, so From Ashes to New is basically a band that was started by Matt Brandyberry. He is the rap rocker of the group. Um, and let's see, he so they started back in like, uh, well, the first album was 2016 with Day One. And then they decided to kick, well, I don't know if they kicked half the group, but like <laughs> they parted they, ways. They, yeah, they parted ways. With they about half. Yeah. Some deuces. <laughs> with uh, they, their drummer left and they added a guy named Matt Madero, who actually was the drummer, former of a band called Trivi- Trivium. And then they added a new singer by the name of Danny Case. And this dude is just gold. He's just he's been an amazing singer. And it's it's unfortunate because I, I get it. You know, a lot of them compare from Ashton. Everybody compares from Ashton to Linkin Park because that's kind of their big influence. It's it's really who they kind of sound like because they have a rapper, which, you know, you have like Mike Shinoto's is the Matt, Matt guy. Um, and then Chester is Danny case. And it's kind of unfortunate because Danny case is a great singer in his own right. Like it's, it's, it's really not fair to him to be compared to somebody like Chester Bennington. But at the same time, I think that he considers it an honor. And I really think that they, uh, because of all that, the comparisons, I think that they've continued to kind of redefine their style and, and not necessarily, get away from the Lincoln Park sound, but just kind of be more definitive about who they are. And I think this album was a real good step in that direction. And so, yeah, the, like I said, it was their third album. 
but it's the second album in a row where they've actually maintained the same lineup. Uh, this band has gone through several renditions of the band with Matt being the only member uh, that's remained in it since 2013. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that they're starting to gain some chemistry and, and some consistency. And I will say that during quarantine, this has probably been the most active quarantine band I've ever seen. <laughs> um, they literally were doing like zoom videos every week um, when quarantine started they basically were covering a different song every single week. Um, and they didn't really change the song, but I think it was just them trying to play music and continue to play music while all this stuff was going on. If you watch the panic video, it kind of references all the craziness of quarantine. Cause there's like a timeline of February. They're getting ready to go on tour and March. They're getting ready to do something else. And then everything shuts down. <laughs> yeah, it talks about how the how the pandemic threw off their plans for that track in the album. And also the the track itself, like depending on how you listen to it, it kind of just sounds like a song about general like anxiety and whatnot. Yeah. But in the context of the year that we've had, it sounds in it's another we've mentioned this before. Like it it Eerie. sounds like it's talking <laughs> about yeah, it sounds like it's talking about living through COVID times. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and I think that it's, it's just happened to be, you know, like you said, a, a happenstance of the year that we're dealing with and, and just uh, comparing everything because, you know, it all feels the same to us this year. It's just everything is just awful. And it's hard for all of these bands that we're talking about right here because they're each putting out albums during a pandemic. And when you are a, a band, especially a rock band, your bread and butter after you do that is to go tour. Right. And play shows and sell merch and all that kind of stuff. And so you're talking about how active they are. You have to be that kind of active to make money <laughs> to, to, you know, keep your your uh, livelihood going whenever you can't do it the normal way. And so it's tough for like literally just about every album that we've talked about on this show is almost all of them have been released during this pandemic time. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, th and that's the thing is like, if, if you look at the lyrics for a lot of these songs, like I know that a lot of this was produced for the most part beforehand, but I know that uh, there was a lot of stuff that they did, you know, once the pandemic started um, and just trying, cause I don't think that they had any plans on getting this album out this year. If I understand correctly, um, they like the video showed they had planned on touring and doing a whole bunch of other stuff, but because they basically all got quarantined, they just started, playing music together and, and, and video zooming basically their practices, mm -hmm. uh, their band practice. And I think that it, it's worked. I think that they continue to gain chemistry and like this album is, is really good because there's a lot of different things that you can relate to with the pandemic going on. And just, you know, like, like you said, it's, it is about dealing with Well, at least that particular song is about dealing with anxiety and depression, but there's also a lot of stuff just, that they're talking about were along the same lines of uh, the song Panic. Well, Bulletproof was a song, track eight, which kind of talks about uh, child abuse and or violence against children. And side effect is side effects is about pills. And so they're very much a band that's uh, not afraid to get down to the nitty gritty of some of that tough stuff. Yeah, I think that's one thing that Matt has always done very well is write very good lyrics about what's going on and, and, and the state of things. 
uh, and just being relevant. You know, he's he's very clever with his rhymes as well, too. Yeah. There was one song where, like, it was he had a really good verse where he just killed it. Like, I, you know, I was talking about it in one of our, or actually in our previous episode about Hollywood Undead, how Charlie's seen, you know, there's always like one verse per per Hollywood Undead album that I just absolutely love from Charlie Scene. And I, I felt like actually uh, Matt brought his game on this particular album as well. Hmm, okay. Okay. I, I really couldn't tell you what song it was. I know it was towards <laughs> the end of the album, but uh, I can't remember which one it is. Let's say it was either nothing or death of me, but it was, yeah, it was closer towards the end. I think it was death of me, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. So this album is another one. Um, that is very accessible and the album itself is short. It only clocks in at 35 minutes. The tracks themselves even more that, you know, uh, nothing but thieves. Most of those tracks are about four minutes. A lot of these from ashes to new ones are closer to three, yeah, maybe even three and a half. Like they're, they're pretty in and out like, you know, with, with their stuff, which I think kind of works for this particular style of music. For me personally, it's a style that gets old quickly. And so I don't necessarily want to hear 50 minutes in a row of it. And so maybe small doses are the better way to go. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll pause there. I, I, well, I, I just think your thing with time song times is a bit odd, to be honest, because, you know, if it's a good song, I, I will say that there are some songs where like they clock in at three minutes and I'm just getting into the song. I'm like, oh, I wish this song was longer, but I've never hated a song because it was three and a half minutes. Oh, no, I don't. I don't hate or love a song because of its length. I just I, I think it's interesting to observe like a band's trends and, and like how they're they structure what they're doing. Yeah. And I feel like if a band is is if a band's album start to finish are making three to four minute songs, they're communicating that they, you know, are a radio play band for one thing, which isn't a positive or negative necessarily. It's just it's just a statement. And then, you know, certain genres just lend themselves. We talked mentioned before about how like punk music tends to just be really high energy, real right. high, high tempo. Sometimes it's only like a minute and a half long. Like it just is what it is versus like progressive rock where you have like six tracks on an album and they're each like 13 minutes or some crap. And yeah, um, it's just different. I don't know. I just I do find that interesting. You got to take a break after two minutes of a punk, punk song. You know, <laughs> um, That's right. Let the kids in the pit heal up real quick. That's a good point. Very good point. (laughs) (laughs) Same for this band too. I mean, you know, they're short songs so that everybody can get in the pit, knock each other out and get back up again. And then panic some more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting here. I don't, I I don't want to say what I want to say about this album. (laughs) What what do you got, Casey? (laughs) Well, I, I thought the entire album itself was pretty fantastic from start to finish. The first three songs start off pretty strong. Uh, track one, Scars That I'm Hiding. Track two, uh, Brick. Brick was actually one of my favorites on the, on the album. And then track three, What I Get. I could see sort of what you were talking about, just with the, the stylings of the songs kind of sounding similar in certain ways. But uh, I'm not faulting this band uh for them sounding necessarily each song on the album sounding the same i have a i have a different complaint about that that i'll get to in a minute okay no but i i really enjoyed the album as a whole uh side effects i thought was a really really good one track five 
I really like Bulletproof. That was one of my favorites on the album. Um, yeah. Not only for the message, but for I just really like the song too. Yeah. I think you guys have nailed probably like the best, the two probably top tracks on the album for me, Side Effects and Bulletproof. Side Effects, the one thing that I enjoyed about it is that the beginning of it kind of reminded me of like old, early Project 86, which is a band that we haven't barely ever touched on on this podcast and so i'm glad to name drop them and there's not much that reminds me of old project but that for some reason did and it made me happy i can see that <laughs> but i don't know I, I gotta be real with you guys <laughs> we talked about how lincoln park is clearly one of now lincoln park is clearly their biggest influence yeah for me that influence is overwhelming to the point that i don't enjoy their music very much it, if I can be a hater for a minute, I feel like about 80% of From Ashes to New is a Linkin Park tribute band. If I can just be a, a, a full-on hater, full hater for a minute. <laughs> to the point where, like, as I'm, the problem is as I'm listening to these songs, I can actually pinpoint what Linkin Park song I think this one is sort of based Remind on. You of, yeah. Yeah, it's not just they have a similar sound. It's, it's Scars That I'm Hiding is what I've done. <laughs> It's death of me is one step closer. It's like I can actually find parts of these songs where I'm like, that sounds exactly like a part of this other Linkin Park song. And it happens repeatedly, like four or five times on the album to the point where it becomes a distraction for me. So I'm going to go on record as saying that I think this band will. And and they're a young band. You said they've only started putting out albums since 2016. So they've got a future. I think that the best thing this band could do is expand their horizons past Linkin Park. So I'm interested to see them do that going forward, personally. It's funny that you say that, because I actually think that this was the one album that actually sounds least like... Because I think that they tried oh, to rock... <laughs> I think they just tried to rock out a little bit harder on this album, and it's not... Because like the other... I think Danny had more of an influence on this particular album, and maybe that's why it sounds more like Linkin Park to you. Mm-hmm. Um because he does a lot more singing, but like the previous albums were a lot more uh, featuring Matt and a lot more rap rock albums. I thought this was more of a, a just a generic rock type album as opposed to mainly rap rap rock. Like because not every song is a rap rock song on on this particular album anyway. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily. But I also think that that is really how you lean into that. Like you mentioned at the beginning, they have a Shinoda Chester dynamic going on where you have a a rapper and you have a really good vocalist and they tend to alternate a lot. And that's always Lincoln parks, probably always who that'll remind me of because there were other rap rock bands that came out in that era, but not very many of them had both of those kind of vocal stylings, especially nearly as well as Lincoln park did. I don't know. To me, it was just too, it was just too much of an influence, but, um, and you say that it's less an influence on this than previous albums, which makes me really wonder about the older albums. Maybe I'll have to listen to them just to see out of curiosity. Like I said, it's everybody's mileage varies, but that's just where I landed. I think a lower on this album than you guys did. So we got one more for you guys. Casey's really excited about this one. So we wanted to, <laughs> to we want for you for. I am too. Uh, good. good. And, and the reason for this is because, and I'm not going to mention the band. You can, I'll give Casey the honor of mentioning the band since he brought this up. But like, I like the fact that, this is a new band. Um, I really love introducing new bands through our show, uh, whether it's the podcast or a radio show. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we've, we've kind of done that 
in the last like four or five years just had a new band debut and just kind of cling to them and, and, and love them. You know, I don't know. That's just, it's my thought. So that's, I, I feel like yeah. this is the new I prevail or the, uh, or the new nothing more in my opinion. Like if that makes any sense to you guys. It yeah. does. Yeah. This, this might be one of our, our big deals for the future, huh? Yeah. That we, that we kinda, yeah. yeah. Well, and literally this band came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, not just because they're from Iowa, but uh, <laughs> because, I mean, even though they've kind of existed as a cover band for many years, they really haven't uh, released anything until 2019. They released an EP, and half of the EP is on this particular album. So Okay. Okay. Going the red route, as mentioned in a... Yeah. <laughs> yep. As mentioned way back in episode six. Yes. <laughs> so who are we talking about? We're talking about Saw and their album Rise as Equals. And actually, I think the reason why they're called Saw is they're two brothers in the band and their last name, I believe, is pronounced Bedsaw. Yeah, yeah, I actually heard an interview with one of the Bedsaw brothers, and that's that's basically what it is. He said they were originally called themselves Bedsaw, and then they just decided that just shortening it to Saw just sounded better. Drop the bed. Just Get rid of the bed. bed. You need no bed. <laughs> Yeah, but so this this album, Rises Equals, it has 14 tracks on it. If we were doing the radio show, I can pretty much guarantee you that we would we would play all of the tracks on this album. Well, that's high praise right off the bat. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> the whole entire album is, is fantastic. The, the interesting thing about this band to me, and I'll let you guys see what you think after I say this, but they are their own sound. But I think if the if the three of us picked three or four bands that remind us of Saul, we would probably all come up with different answers. Mm, probably. <laughs> I'm kind of curious now because I totally, when I first heard them, they sound to me like Gemini Syndrome. Okay. I can see that. I was going to say Fire from the Gods. Yeah. I could also see that. Some other ones that I think that they... and. It's the thing that I find interesting about Saul is it's all elements of bands that I enjoy. Like they take, like they kind of sound like Five Figure Death Punch a little bit. There's a couple tracks where they sound like I Prevail. Um, One band that they don't exactly sound like, but uh, Star Set, they talk a lot about uh, machines and some of their Mm. music videos have spacemen in it and some of the tracks sound like disturbed to me. They're kind of an all purpose alternative metal band. Right. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a lot of things going on there that, that throws in the vibe and even like, like nothing more. Like I think you mentioned a minute ago. Yep. Yeah. So the fact that they came out of nowhere and the fact that they have so many different styles and 14 tracks, you have to diversify to keep, <laughs> to keep someone's attention. And, I feel like they do that flawlessly, to be honest. Hey, speaking of 14 tracks and, and you mentioning that they started as a cover band, what, how do you guys feel about that that final track on the album? Welcome to the Machine. Yeah, cover of, uh, of Pink Floyd. I, I just have to say that like I absolutely love when people cover classics and they don't fuck it up. Uh, <laughs> right. I enjoy that too. <laughs> I mean... Anything from a like, there's certain bands, you know, if you're going to cover that band, 
you better do a damn good job. And Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin are basically the, the two highest on that list. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I really felt like I was nervous when when I heard that. Uh, <laughs> cause I think Casey sent the the link to the the song to us, and I was really nervous when I saw "Welcome to the Machine" because that's one of my favorite Floyd songs, and and they they knocked it out of the park. Like it, it's a it's a fucking awesome awesome cover. I was thoroughly thoroughly impressed. Yeah, I think what made it unique is they added a lot of the like space sounds to it which yeah machine sounds yeah made it sound really cool yeah i agree it it was i mean there's there's very few pink floyd covers that i like i think the only other one i can think of off the top my or there's two of them that i can think off the top of my head is run by kitty and uh run like hell anyway by kitty and the foo fighters cover of have a cigar and and that's that's it like i really don't like when people cover pink floyd songs you didn't like scissor sisters comfortably numb oh god no what? That was terrible. I don't have to even believe you mentioned it. I don't have to put that on the playlist, do I? No. No. <laughs> do not put it on the playlist. No. The fact that we were forced to play that in college uh, is punishment enough. I'm still regretting that I put Good Charlotte on last week's playlist. <laughs> oh, God. Why did you do that? I might have to go take it off. We, well, the, the purpose of the playlist is that I usually try to include artists and tracks that we mention because it's a frame of reference thing. But I feel like sometimes I'm going to have to start making exceptions. Well, the Sister Sisters reference probably will get cut due to time anyway, so that's okay. We'll see. It sure <laughs> won't make the playlist anymore. <laughs> but anyway. So kudos to them for nailing that, cu- that Floyd cover, yeah, in addition to their own songs. Yeah, I feel the same way about the songs on the album. Probably if we were picking Flavor of the Week, we probably all three would have different versions of of that. Hmm. I don't know. I do agree to an extent, but I think there's some songs that, that really do stick out more than others. One track to me that I really, really loved was Levy. And because I, <laughs> I just, I really enjoy bands that use piano in like rock songs. And they harmonized really, really well on that song. See, that's what I was, I was saying. Like, I, I think it's funny because uh, that's actually one of them that I would definitely be playing for favor of the week. And that was actually one of my favorite, just because like it just very well placed in the album. It's uh, it's track not nine. necessarily in the middle. It's track nine to where it's not necessarily right at the end, but you know, it, I think it helps break up the sound because it, it's not necessarily that it gets monotonous, but they do have like the kind of the same sound in every song. And then when you come, you know, you hear that piano, it does break it up a little bit. Yeah. I feel like nine is a nice spot if a, on a 14 track album for your your most different sounding track to, to land. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. agree. So good job on on track placement there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> not to not lose us at that point. I would also play the, you know, for Flavor of the Week, I'd also be choosing the uh, first single off the album, Brother. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, Brother was actually released almost two years ago originally. Right. And this album just came out uh, this past September. And so they've been sitting on a couple. It's like Casey mentioned, some of the tracks from the album came from their original EP and Brother was one of them. Yeah, the song actually peaked at number 20 on the Billboard Top 40. Yeah, that was that was due to it uh, debuting on Satellite Radio, I believe. Yep. Like Hard Rock Top 40? Uh, I, can't, I have a hard time buying Saul in Top 40, Top 40. It says Mainstream Top 40. Whoa! 
Yeah. Well, it's like he said, after exposure on the Sirius XM Octane test drive, winter 2019, Brother became a regular in Octane's rotation. And it was also furied as a Sirius XM Octane accelerator as a recognized up and comer. The song peaked at number 20 on the Billboard 40. There you go. Kudos to Saul. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're mainstream rockers now. They've made it. <laughs> and it also goes to show you how how uh much influence satellite radio has right now, which is kind of crazy. I guess. It has no influence on me personally, but <laughs> same here. here. <laughs> Dan's got his CDs, I've got Spotify, and <laughs> Casey's got a little bit of everything. Satellite's nowhere to be found. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, kudos to them. I mean, they definitely, I mean, I think that they are a band that is on the rise to sort of touch on their album title and also just, yeah, this is their first album and it feels like it'll probably be the start of something pretty cool. Well, it's it's really funny too because, you know, I, I mentioned nothing more kind of at the beginning. Um, Saul actually considers early 1990s acts like Tool and Pearl Jam as, one, as their uh, influence as well as contemporaries such as Nothing More. <laughs> as a source of inspiration i would I, I will say that like seeing saw open for nothing more would be a hell of a concert yeah that would be pretty awesome throw in some gemini there. syndrome and some i prevail man i'm sold like i'll be there yeah uh <laughs> track eight don't close your eyes totally sounded like it could be a i prevail song yeah do they okay i actually just answered my own question so it seems like both the bed saw brothers actually do sing because yes. you can kind of tell, and I, like you said, there was a lot of harmony too. So there's actually three members of the band that sing. Yep. But the brothers are the, are the main guys. And you can definitely tell that in a couple of the songs that they have some really good harmony. They've been singing for a while together. And they just genuinely, like I said, I listened to a, an interview or two, I think maybe two actually. And I don't even remember if it was the same Bedsell brother, to be honest. But um, I'm not going to say that I personally enjoyed this album all that much, but there was something about these guys that makes you kind of want to root for them. And so I just like in listening to them talk, I was like, I like y'all y'all are just some nice, just some nice dudes out making music that you enjoy. And I, I respect that. One thing that I did see in one of the interviews uh, that one of the brothers did is uh, I'm pretty sure the town that they came from only had like 500 people in it or something like that. So Sutherland, Iowa population 649 as of the 2010. <laughs> <century>. <laughs> Estimated to have shrunk a little bit since then. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty incredible in its own right to me. I bet you they are known by literally the entire town. Yeah. <laughs> There's only 600 people. Like I graduated with half of them. Yeah. <laughs> they might be the most famous people <laughs> from them, I think. Iowa. I think it's kind of cool that in this conversation, we were able to start with a... Uh... And you know what? Actually, I think we, we more or less went in reverse order of age. We started with a veteran band that's been around for most of 30 years and ended with this band that has technically existed for quite a while, but has only been the band that we now know them as for a couple of years. You'd be and correct. So, yeah. So we've got these, these newcomers, Saul, that probably have a pretty bright future all the way up to local H who is just, just chugging along this train. That's, you know, unlikely to have a, top 40 hit of any sort but is also <laughs> likely to keep on rocking until they can't do it anymore in a good way oh i, I, I like the diversity in what we just did there no, we got a pop good. band we got a grunge band we got a rap rock band we got whatever you want to call saul 
like I said, all purpose, all purpose, alt metal. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we wanted to do the rapid fire review. And these four bands stood out pretty much for that. Yeah. And they were all great albums. It's just that we didn't necessarily have that much to elaborate or that all three of us didn't feel as strongly about the album as the, as we have in the past on, on other albums. Right. And there's only so many weeks in the year for us to talk about stuff before it gets awkward. If you want to say, Oh, here's our favorites from 2020. Yeah. We can't, push, we can't push that too far into next year. We're already going to be doing it in January. Right. I guarantee you all four of these will make our list at somewhere. They'll be somewhere. It'll be close. Yeah. I'll be very interested to see how our, as Dan said, since some of us felt stronger about some than others, I'll be very interested to see how that all balances out. Well, and there's so much other stuff that came out earlier this year and other stuff that we haven't talked about um, that may be taken into consideration as well. There's still a lot to consider. Right. There may be bands on that top 20 that we actually haven't really talked about at all. Yep. But we're glad to get four of them knocked out right here. That was fun. We should do that again sometime. I kind of like narrowing them down to to more bite-sized reviews. Yeah, that's good. Pretty big yeah, bites, no bite size. Yeah, a smorgasbord of flavors. Yes, <laughs> exactly what it is. <laughs> so, quick note before we wrap it up and get out of here: um, if you're not following us on social media, we are active on Facebook and Twitter at itchrocks i t c h r o c k s. And uh, just this past week, based on our previous episode on the Rock Hall of Fame. We ran ourselves a little tournament to see who deserves it most as far as the next inductions go amongst our uh, listeners and fans. And um, so congratulations to Ozzy Osbourne, even though you didn't want that induction. You were the one that the people said most deserve to get in next. You beat out Rage Against the Machine in the finals, just for the record. Oh, wow. So That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And also check out we're doing I'm doing a Twitter promotion for us here. And it's on Facebook as well, but uh, it's a little little different there, where we shout out um, our favorite previous episodes from this past year, as well as uh, some podcast friends of ours in the music and non-music realm. We're calling it the 12 Pods of Christmas. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be just about over, but the links will still be there, and you can still go back and check all those out. So enjoy. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our rapid review. Uh, if you didn't agree with us let us know your opinion if you liked something that uh, we didn't talk about you know like i said there's other stuff that uh, possibly is on the horizon or other stuff that we may consider um but you know time is of the essence that's for sure Mm -hmm. let us know your feedback you can do all of that and more on our website at itchrocks.com and that's i-t-c-h-r-o-c-k-s dot c-o-m that's right thank you very much for listening to the itch Rock Matters. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And until next time, rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. You're listening to Rock Matters, where we talk about Limp Biscuit and 21 Pilots.